0: Welcome to today's edition of Pipeline Things. We get into talking about EMAT and catch and release and next, did you get it? Did you get it? And no. trying to kill the fuck. You have to watch the whole episode to get any of that what it means. We hope you enjoy it <laughs> and we certainly did. Thanks for joining us. all right welcome to this wednesday's edition of pipeline things i am your host thing 20 otherwise known as rhett dodson super excited to be here with you and my co-host thing 21 otherwise known as christopher de Leon. not lesser in prominence lesser in stature but greater in number whatever that means now 21 verse 20. chris man i think it's number of arm wrestling wins um anyways, <laughs> we'll move on. You know you win that handily I'm never going to I'm never going to beat you in our wrestling. And I knew it going into that. You're winning in Vomits after we run too. I am. I'm winning in all the categories that matter. I'm there, man. It's good weight loss right there. <laughs> so, um, to, this is a, an interesting episode. I'm just going to let the, uh, the users know. Let's just jump
1: right into this. Let's this jump right is, in. This, how do you deliver bad news?
0: No, let's not go with bad news. Oh, okay, first. good let's news. Let's go good news okay, first. Okay, good news. Uh, we reached a milestone today. We, uh, our last episode yeah. was on the nostalgia of the 1980s. And, and, and how and you Matt. cry
1: when, you, when things are sentimental to you. Do you, you? want to sing
0: John Denver with me?
1: Take you me know. home. You wanna do it? Can you give me a beat? No.
0: No. But we talked about that. We talked really? about Reader's Digest and the fact that I grew up in my grandmom's house reading Reader's Digest. Well we had a fan <laughs> who gave us, if you're on YouTube, you can see it. I am holding in my hands the July nineteen seventy-six edition. A Reader's Digest. So I show Bravo. up on Monday this week, no lie, yep. and there is a little uh, shipment, I don't know, something came in via mail, and I'm like, yeah. what is this? I cut it open, mm-hmm. and imagine my surprise when I open up Reader's Digest 1976. <laughs> I don't actually know who this is from. Yeah, that's I was going to ask thing. you what name was on the package. It was an eBay seller. So that was my first mm. thought, right? I'm going to go the this. Co- we know a couple of eBay sellers. We do know a couple of eBay sellers, but that's pretty sure that's not who this no. came from. Uh, I already checked with said eBay seller, and that person did not. <laughs> Um. I, so, I don't know, but whoever our our, our 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 fan was that did this, I want you to know you made my day, you yeah. made my week. Um, it's going to go on a LinkedIn post yeah. tomorrow, and now it's going to be featured prominently might, in the It episode. might be framed. So, Chris, um, there's some really great stuff in here, just bringing you back in time, with so, like a time capsule. So, let's walk through this a little bit. Let's walk through it.
1: How would you describe Reader's Digest? Uh, I I would say maybe half of the people who might be listening to our podcast know what a Reader's Digest is.
0: So a Reader's Digest, it's a collection of like, I don't know, probably anywhere from four. It's like a magazine, but a magazine, I would say, that doesn't have a a sole focus like that. It's built around like, you know, Sports Illustrated is built around sports. Um, Let's say that. You know, something like stream and field, or field and stream, I'm sorry, built around fishing. You know, something like Nintendo Magazine, built around Nintendo. Reader's Digest is really built around readers, so it's really like a collection of short stories. I'd say everyone's between three and five pages, Hmm. and it can be about all sorts of topics. So, for instance, give you a couple of them. Just, let's go. What would we have read in in
1: 1977? 1977?
0: Montreal, is it the last of the big Olympics? Oh. So I was born, I know it was not. We had some pretty big Olympics yeah. after that. Salt Lake City, Atlanta, definitely not. But yeah. it's cool that they thought so. Um, this one will will we'll get your goat. Uh, the Deadly Move to the Sea, which is oh. a story about how in 1976, people are fleeing from urban cities and going to suburban areas. Apparently okay. that was the talk of the town in 1976. Um there's another one in here that I was thought you, was really. Funny. You
1: said that that I think you would you would flip to the back for some humor. Is there any humor in this one? I
0: did. You want you ready for this? Yeah. Let's Laughter, go. Give, the give best me, medicine give, give me is what I used to one. listen for. So here we go. Uh, the audience can can can. can According be to 1977, let's go. Probably totally inappropriate. <laughs> Do not hold us responsible. You can contact Reader's Digest if the editors are still alive. So, during a speech before a U.S. Women's Club, the Latin American okay. diplomat was describing oh. his country. Our most popular sport is bullfighting, he said. One matron, obviously upset at the thought of so bloody a spectacle, asked, but isn't it revolting? No, said the diplomat. <laughs> that's our second most popular sport. Miss <laughs> Producers lost. She didn't get it. Everybody else out there, you can think about that a little bit. You'll get it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, Given some of the stuff that's hey, going on in Nicaragua and other places now, maybe hey, that's not so hey, good. There have been some revolts around here, too. Uh, this is true. This is true. Um, here we go. A man who had been married for 10 years was consulting a marriage counselor. When I was first married, I was very happy. I'd come home from a hard day at the shop, and my little dog would race around barking, and my wife would bring me my slippers. Now everything's changed. When I come home, my dog bring brings me my slippers, and my wife barks at me. Mm. I don't know what you're complaining about, said the counselor. You're still getting the you're same getting service. You're
1: getting the same service. That is right. That's would you, you, would, you're going to get
0: married in a little <laughs> while. Is that what you had in mind? <laughs> She's going to buy she's a dog. Like, she's going to get like, him a dog. Move on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um Oh my goodness. This is kind of funny. Letter from camp. Dear mom and dad, what is an epidemic? Love, oh. Junior. Wow, in the oh. face of <laughs> the face of what actually happened the last 2 years. That's kind of funny. So yeah, I, you know, readers digest, I'm going to read all of this. Oh, here's another. The porno plague. I don't okay. know what a- that's uh, a- that that's where we stop. I- Yep. <laughs> so Reader's Digest 1976, thanks to one of what our month? viewers. What month again? Uh, July. If you're interested, you can go find it on eBay. That's, the, that's 200 years from 1776, if you're curious. So, so uh, whoever sent that to us, thanks. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, you know, the other thing that. that we're dealing with today, the readers, if we feel a bit thrown oh off, boy. Yeah. and it's funny because she's flashing the five-minute warning at us now, because yeah. this is the second time we shot this episode. So that was the good news the the good news was the reader so died, we start yes. with humor whenever you going to do good. News. Yeah. So this is good this now, is good for like
1: project managers and yeah. stuff like that now right?
0: we have to have public public uh... browbeating public, brow beating, public shaming yes shame. absolutely shame so we shot this episode in all fairness quite a while ago It was probably I'd say easily easily top ten in our episode list.
1: probably uh, uh, I'd,
0: I'd say 10. maybe top
1: five top five yeah, it was at least sure. top five i got i got to harass you about not taking your son fishing you yeah, took great. him camping like what dad doesn't take your son fishing yep during a camping trip this guy apparently doesn't
0: so. all lost all lost
1: maybe we do need to get a field and stream
0: and um my brother grew up uh, with that somebody else wants to send us field and stream like early 1980s <laughs> i'll take that as well um <laughs> but now we're reshooting it because mm-hmm. gasp <gasps> Miss Producer emails us yesterday that she lost all the footage for our top ten episodes. Top five. Top five. Episodes. Like Booker T. Top five. Top, top, five, five, out top, of top nine. five top five, Top five. Top five out of nine episodes, and she's like, "Ah, oh, we have to, we have to redo this thing." So we're gonna yeah. have to, uh, we have to reimagine what we talked about a month ago, yeah. and make it fit within the context of the two episodes that it's sandwiched around.
1: Yeah, but and this uh, mosquito. W- is w- w- what's me. awkward is, is how how appropriate this situation is on the subject because we're talking about ILI. <laughs> and, and if I frame this a little bit, oh if God, I may, <laughs> so we have the intro that was still fully intact, Yep. we have the break that was still fully intact, and we have the second half of the show. That was still this fully- fly. <laughs> this,
0: this fly is gonna die, or I'm gonna <laughs> die. Something's gonna happen. One of us. I'm gonna go tumbling out of the chair. <laughs> hey, next thing we're gonna get is a fly swatter. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, so we lost parts of the so episode. Yeah. So we have
1: three parts of four.
0: So let me ask you a question, Chris. So does do we that pass need to do first run success? Do we? <laughs> she has a 90% first run success rate because we've gotten nine out of ten. The question is, do we need to rerun? Yeah, do we reshoot this, or do oh we just miss gosh. the first half that was missing and then change clothes in the middle, <laughs> and people are confused in the broadcast? The Easter egg has moved.
1: This that's is really a perfect funny. segue. That you know, really let's funny. jump
0: into it. So that's that's actually that that's a good segue. Actually, and I'm sure we're gonna come back to that. Do do you need to rerun? Do you need to reinspect after the the findings of your your, your EMAT DQA? Mm. And we do forgive Miss Producer. She's done mm. a fabulous job. Hey, I'm sure mm. it was something is she doing a better job if like she could get rid of this, like of this fly is that is plaguing me? I it's, 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 it. 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 it's partnership. It's partnership? you You gotta trust
1: the people you work with you know, there's always a threat tomorrow. The audience is so confused.
0: So, uh, last time we left off, it was uh, it was, EMAT, Take Me Home, Country Roads. It yeah. was everything pre-inspection, Chris.
1: Yeah, it was. we talked about the ILI system. Yep. We talked the about measurement you know, coming up to it and running yep. the pig. The measurement principle. And uh, this one was titled Catch and Release.
0: Originally titled Catch and Release, yeah. right? But we have no real um, evidence to support that any longer because we've lost that. But I think <laughs> it's still fair. We catch and Release. We think it So, it was you've the caught threat. the pig. And I think, what, what did we say? We were gonna release the hounds. Yeah, release and try, the
1: hounds. And, and it, the idea there was, it's like, what do you do next? Like, w- you wanna be tactical in what you wanna do and not just, you know, go out on a wild goose hunt.
0: So let's know? start from the very beginning, Chris. Yeah. Um, when when operators do EMAT, I find it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, they should, the first document they receive is a DQA or DQR, which is a data quality assessment or a data quality report. Yep. Um, if operators do get that what should they be looking for let's just go straight into it and i want to say there are some operators who do not get a dqa or dqr i think because of how they are influenced from running mfl and other things uh maybe that that historical carryover but assuming that they run uh and they're getting a dqa dqr what should they be looking for so my first
1: comment to that is i hope you defined it as an operator you know, so part of your, your, your pre-assessment activities or pre-planning activities is you should already have a, a defined scope for what you want to receive as it relates to field report, which would be things like sensor coverage, amount of data collected, you know, velocity charts. And then second is um, what we're going to call a data quality assessment, right? And a data quality mm-hmm. assessment, is it has the key word in there, right? Data. And the idea there is it's at some point, once the data is downloaded, it goes to an analyst and the analyst is able to define what the quality of that, that data set is. And so ideally, I think the first takeaway is it's you want to be sure you define that, right? You want to know what you want from the field, what you want from the data analyst so that you know if you can use the data and how. And it kind of makes me feel like we need to put some process control in here for Miss Producer. After mm. every run of these shows... We need to ask That's for exactly a right. field report yep. that the data was collected, the video was collected, is the quality and acceptable? And it's stored properly, so we don't lose is it in transit. Is the audio
0: of- there? Absolutely right. This is good. So it was a failure on our part for not <laughs> having an appropriate process in place. Bingo. To ensure that Ms. Producer would Bingo. do it. Because ultimately, the operator
1: is responsible. <laughs> for the integrity assessment, right? You're
0: right. You're well done. So, in, in that DQA though, I think um, EMAT sometimes looks a little bit different, right? I mean, operators... This might
1: be our last episode if we keep on this whole misproducer. thing. Well, we don't thing. have to
0: come back for a while anyway, so we're going to give her a break. Um, but the, uh, if she loses the next two, then we really we do have a problem. By the way, Miss Producer, make a note, we need to check and make sure we have the files for the next two episodes. Um, <laughs> In that in that DQR, Chris, uh, I think so. In MFL, operators are looking and saying, "Hey, uh, is is you know did I have a number of sensors that were functional?" Yep. Uh, MFL, while being speed sensitive, uh, typically there's degraded specifications for yep. if you had a speed excursions. Um, what types of things are operators looking for in a DQA for EMAT? How yeah. is it different? Or let me ask you the question: Is it different? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the principles are the same. I think what you're looking for is degraded
1: data. And a, a natural step for, I mean, most of our audience's experienced in ILI is it's you ask your, your service provider, what is the extent of that degradation and can the data still be used? And I think that's a little bit of a conversation, right? So if the analyst says, hey, here's how the performance specification is now modified as a result of this data degradation, then you have to understand what that means for your integrity mm-hmm. assessment, right? If you're having to add 30% to all your depths, that may be a deal breaker. Yeah. But if that's only for a specific segment, of that 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 overall inspection, then that may be something you can deal with with complementary integrity assessments, like maybe an SECDA or direct you know, examination, something like a CDA, something right, like so that. Right,
0: if so I, if I lost data or I had degraded data in an area, is there another assessment that I can use to make up for that? That's the question yeah, you're th- trying to those answer.
1: those are examples. The other thing I think you want to you wanna look at is there's a lot of stuff you can learn from the field too, right? So if you have a velocity plot, we know that yeah. from our previous episode that um, ultrasonic technologies, including EMAT in this case, can be much more sensitive or susceptible to data degradation when it's related to uh, velocity excursions. So those are things that you can screen on the early end also debris. So you catch yeah. the trap, you catch the tool in the trap and it comes out with a bunch of crud
0: on it. If you catch the MFLC first, because that's what you were running and it comes out, that is a very clear warning sign yep. of whether or not you need a more a more aggressive cleaning, cleaning program. program. Absolutely. Yep, yep absolutely. That's it, a sign that we saw missed, Chris, I think a lot of times was the, you know, yep. we'd get an MFL, uh, I'm sorry, we get an EMAT report back that failed due to debris and we'd mm. start asking questions Then it turns out that the MFLC was, was very heavily coded and it just yeah. wasn't noted. It's like the EMAT went along you know, without really paying attention to that. Let me ask you another question on that. Yeah. Uh, should operators. Is, I'm, I'm going to. Um, that fly. To do it. I, dude, if you have to smack me, do it. My gosh, I mean, that fly is all over me. <laughs> now you're just having fun. Go sit your orange butt down. <laughs> you're going to ruin the Reader's <laughs> Digest magazine. Um, you can't make this stuff up, guys. I'm sorry. He's in it's rare form, hilarious. guys. Uh should operators consider separating the seam and the pipe body when they look at the DQA for an EMAT? I think it depends, right? Yeah. So when you look at an inline
1: inspection system, uh, you're, you should be defining the goals for it. We've talked about that as well, right? And so if you're looking for pipe body SCC, well then that kind of defines the scope of the data set that you're looking for. If you have, um, in this case, let's say it's a gas line and you're looking at 192.917 for you know, uh, seam susceptibility, um, that type of stuff, then yeah, you're going to have to pay attention to the long scene, And all those things play a factor. So it all goes back to understanding what you're trying to achieve and setting the goals for the inspection.
0: So, we talk about setting the goals, um, one of the things you mentioned, I thought it was interesting, you brought back memories for me, was when you talk about wall thickness changes and yeah. looking at the speeds plots. Because the, the goal of the DQA is ultimately to determine should we make a rerun? Should yeah. we reshoot the episode? Should we reshoot right? it? In our case, I mean, it was total loss of data. We it, could, was
1: it was just the first, no, the only first half.
0: You know what, we should put both episodes out there for operators and be like, did you enjoy the last (laughs) half where you just jumped in and see what happened? Um, But no, no, in all seriousness, when you're making that decision, one of the things that we learned is you have to look at whether or not the data loss is something that could be fixed. Yeah. Right, so we had several cases where, when you got into why the data was lost, it was something intrinsic to the system. Yep. So, for instance, we would see speed changes or speed excursions very closely tied to wall thickness changes, which, yeah. unless they were prepared to replace that section of the pipeline, you're not going to be able to fix. Um, so that fly is just, I know, at the break. We need to name the At the, the fly. break, we are taking care of the fly, uh, Rosie the fly. So. Um, <laughs> I like that. Now she's just perched <laughs> on the mic. She's come back. Did you around. Say my name. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: um, so about DQAs. You yeah. know, I, I think something that's pretty valuable is it's And every operator can 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 get it differently. And I think different service providers may be able to present it differently. But some tips. Um, for sure you want to understand what the data quality is on a joint-by-joint basis. Yes, not and, holistically, right? Not yeah. saying, hey, I have 95% coverage yeah. or 98% coverage there, are, I'm good. You want to understand on a joint-by-joint basis what that, what that data quality assessment is telling you. And as an operator, a couple of things that you can have ready for integration is understanding where your errors of susceptibility are and also where your errors of consequence are. And so that allows you to do a risk-based approach in understanding if you can accept the data and why. It also helps you understand a little bit as to like if you going to supplement that data with another data set, you can kind of hone in and see if that's gonna be practical or not. Um, so yeah, just a couple of tips and on the
0: DQA. So actually, this makes us a good segue because I wanna yeah. go next into the question of preliminary reports, which is always a hot topic. But before we do that, we're gonna turn it over, take a break for our sponsors. While well, I try and kill a fly, where is it? <laughs> I'm Kara Turner, I am the managing director and co-founder of ADV Marketing. We get the honor of working with Rhett and Christopher to produce this crazy podcast and also work with them on any other initiatives that they have when it comes to marketing. And if you know them or are listening to this podcast, you know that it gets pretty crazy around here, so we have a lot of fun with them. ADV Marketing is a full-service, business-to-business marketing agency. Um, We specialize in service companies and technology companies. So if you are enjoying listening to this podcast and the fun that they're having, reach out to us and see how we can make your marketing fun. Hi, welcome back to Pipeline Things. Thing 20, Thing 21, and our unwelcome guest, Rosie the Fly. And everyone's wondering... Uh, Rhett did not get Rosie the fly. No, I did. I missed twice. But I did catch Rosie, Rosie two, well. Rhett zero. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stupid fly. Um, so Chris, let's keep going on this yep. this this discussion, right? I'm enjoying because this is one of my favorite ones, which is now that we've gotten the DQA. Let's assume we cleared that hurdle, and now we're looking at the next step. Yeah. Which actually, this is where we see, I'm gonna say, a lot of variation among operators. Yep. And I think. Maybe things look very different from MFL, depending potentially on what you're going to do. Yeah. So in your mind, Chris, if you're getting an EMAT yeah. run, what's the next report or next milestone from you from the vendor? So we got the field report. Everything looks good.
1: DQA. Let, that's what you, you keep that. saying DQ, field report. DQA. Yeah, field you get, and then then I get the DQA, and all the data looks good, and we can move forward. Um, you want to understand again. I'm going to go back to this. You want to define the objective of the inspection. And I think that all has to be integrated into your risk profile and your risk tolerance. Generally, the from objective f- is I want to find cracks, buddy. Generally, generally. In fact, I want to find every crack. What we see is that um, it's often more efficient and more pragmatic to just receive a draft final and not create a separation in the analysis or an additional deliverable preliminary report.
0: So you just say that one more time.
1: We jump straight to the draft final a and draft bypass final. a preliminary. So report.
0: now you, I, I think most of our listeners are familiar with preliminary. Yep, they're familiar with final. Yep. I'm betting there's a whole bunch of them that are not familiar with the term draft final. Did you and just like, introduce a new
1: terminology? I don't think so. So uh, I think you do. I don't know. Let, let's say it this way. Preliminary reports have their function. Um, back in in the in the 2000s, what we found is its preliminary reports related to EMATS were very functional. It was around uh, using efforts towards calibration, mm-hmm. improving POI, improving sizing models. And EMAT has come a long way since. Now, not every EMAT ILI system has the same level of maturity. Um, my particular experience at Rosen, that's mine, um, is that you know we we've had a lot of great. Uh, EMAT users groups, a lot of good customers that have a feedback loops, a lot of opportunities to, to understand what the technology can do. And, and one of the things we think we find is, is that preliminary reports need to be very intentional. And I think that from a traditional perspective, draft finals are an efficient way to allow the analyst to get through the data and communicate a complete data set To the operator to allow for data integration processes to begin.
0: All right. Let me me question you on that. Sure. Again, preliminary reports for traditional tools are typically response criteria driven. Yep. 100%. Right. I want to know my dents with metal loss. I want to know my 80 percenters. I want to know everything you can get me before I have to wait 90 or however many days it is from the final report. Yeah. And that's a largely discovery-driven now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You described something very different for the objective of a preliminary report in the early days of EMAT, and then yep. you still yet, I would say, describe something altogether different at the end. What does it mean to be intentional yep. in the What does an intentional preliminary report look like? There could be a couple of things. Let's say I'm going to I'm going to go
1: two ways. Let's say you're dealing with an essential variable change. And you, wanna, you want to verify through a field investigation that the tool is operating the way it's supposed to. Essential variable change, i.e. Yeah. let's say the wall thickness maybe a little bit thicker or a little bit thinner in a specific area. So you're like, you know what, there's a high consequence area mm-hmm. here. There is something that may be impacting one of your essential variable parameters. We want to go on ahead before too long and do some verification information there. Please prioritize that effort. See, again, it's still kind of towards calibration and understanding if the ILI tool gotcha. performed. Um, that's one way of being intentional. Another way to be intentional is it's let's say that you know you have a, a, a cracking problem on a pipeline, and you know that through data integration that you have the material properties and a susceptible environment in a location of high consequence, and you, you're concerned about the integrity of that pipe, you want to focus on a very specific part of that asset. So you would say, first and foremost, jump to this segment of pipe, Mm -hmm. and look for features that meet these criteria in this section of pipe. So those are very intentional preliminary reports. Versus it being a broader deliverable. Yeah,
0: that's not something that somebody's going to do if you're running 30 inspections or 40 inspections a year.
1: Unless you have
0: something unique to a system.
1: Or or even three. It's the the context of um, when you introduce preliminary reports, it can create inefficiencies in the process and you don't end up getting a, a more comprehensive or holistic right. understanding of what's going on on the pipeline. So
0: I think what, what's interesting about that, I, I want to take that into layman's terms out there for people, because yeah. I think people are maybe even still a bit confused. Let's well, talk about some of the negative sides we saw from preliminary reporting mm-hmm. in EMATs. And I just, again, I want to talk plainly, is if the operator wasn't specific, yeah. And what they were requesting and left it up to the analyst. By specific, I mean the MFL ones are specific. I want greater than 80%, I want dense with metal loss. If they yeah. leave it up to the analyst to determine what features go into the plenary report, the analyst is going to put maybe what they think is deepest, maybe what they think is important, maybe what they think is unique. Yeah. Which could bear no resemblance to the operator's objectives. That's one problem. And the way That's we'd true. see this come about is I think operators had a, an understanding. A lot of operators also, I don't think, understood when depth sizing took place in the whole EMAT evaluation scheme, right? So yeah. Sean Moran, when he's was one, talked about the fact that it's blobs of data. Yeah. It is completely unlike MFL, where yeah. MFL, you look at the signal amplitude, and you can pretty easily determine what's deeper. And EMAT, mm-hmm. that's not the only thing that goes into it, which makes it difficult. It's a complex evaluation. It is it's a complex evaluation. Less,
1: it's less... Um, it's it's a more that's what i just want to say this one's darker red it's worse it is it is more it is a more complex evaluation protocol
0: and that the problem with that is that if if you cut it short and you say hey give me features at the preliminary stage i think operators expect that they've gotten features that are the deepest they expect that they've gotten features that are the worst which may not be the case at all so and then when they do get their final report they're Mm -hmm. like why was i digging that 40 percenter if there was a 65 percenter here yeah So a couple of takeaways from this. Number one is it's
1: um, I think the takeaway is engage in a conversation with your service provider to understand what is common practice and ask questions as to why that's common practice. And then that allows you to make decisions for what your reporting requirements will be. I agree. So again, uh, what obviously I tried to do here is a little bit is it say, hey, let's just jump straight to a draft final, and and there's some reasons for that, yeah. and I'll describe a couple. For example, a lot of times uh, the objective of a prelim report is to identify all immediate features because you wanna you wanna be risk um, conscious, and so what we need to understand is if if a specific uh, service provider is is analyzing that data joint by joint and it's not a global cert feature search, then what's happening is as they're finding them, they're sending you information. And if that process is gonna happen through three or four months or 120 yeah. to 150 days, every week or every two weeks, you could be getting a notification, yeah. which is something you want or maybe something you don't it's want. True. And so then what you're really doing is saying, hey, package it all up into what's called a prelim. Well, then what's happened is you're having them focus on a very specific deliverable, and now they have to come back to the overall analysis. And so the question to be had there is it's, what true benefit is there to a prelim report versus just throwing this global response to it as pipeline safety? Right uh, that can be kind of subjective and I think that's just what right. we're trying so to So I'm
0: I'm wondering if we should have a prelim report on the show like should we get should we get the show <laughs> at a certain point in time to make sure that everything was there yeah. in case we need to reshoot it or Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know what else I've noticed? I, I actually, we lost a guess. I, I actually think we could make. I think we could get this to fly with just a really good DQA. Even I don't think fly, we the fly is missing. Did you notice <laughs> it's not here? I don't. I didn't kill it clearly. I think Miss Producer took care of it. You think so? I think so. I she was doing she some that. kind of
1: thing over there.
0: Like some black magic voodoo over there. <laughs> so to go with black we magic. We did Wallen just come back from. from uh, we did just come back from New Orleans. It's so. mm-hmm. true. Maybe. So all right, then <clears throat> you mentioned a draft final. In in your mind, describe for the audience. Because I don't think most people are familiar with that. Sure. What's the draft final, Chris? And what's the difference from a final? I think the
1: intent, the, the way I would describe a draft final is the analyst has performed all of their normal, standard evaluation protocols, and they've evaluated the line from launcher to receiver, and they've considered all variables that would be considered common practice in their evaluation protocol. So the report that you were getting should be... Uh, comprehensive enough to all reportable features.
0: And the reason why I think we call it a draft is... I I would say all reportable features based on the current information that you have on the line, right? And and, and I want to say that was what was going to feed into draft. It doesn't mean that your final will never change. I don't want people to hear that. Yes. But it means that you have a comprehensive set of information upon which you can base your excavations, and yeah, if you your start, response, let's call it your that response. your Thank response. You. Your response is actually a much better term. Yeah. And if your response dictates that you're finding other things in the in the field, that very well could still result in a changed final report, either in terms of sizing or potentially even in the features. And we'll we'll classify that process
1: as a blanket statement of data integration. So once mm. you receive the information from your your ILI vendor. Then what you end up getting to do is an API RP 1176 does a great job of this, is it encourages a process of data integration. So once you receive the final report, it'll have the ILI nomenclature in it with the characterization of all the features, and then you go and do a data integration process, where what 1176 offers is to classify them as... um, Likely, possible, or unlikely cracks, and the current version of it, and we know it's being reworked, also includes some form of time dependency yeah. to establish what a response criteria is.
0: Now, that's good. So you're bleeding naturally in response criteria, and I, I kind of want to chat about that a little bit. Because yeah. I think that's another really big one, right? That's a big unknown. So as of today, this day we're shooting the show, and even I would venture to say, I bet the day that this show drops, which is in a couple days, assuming the data's is not lost, then we... Um, she loves me. I'll give her a Snickers bar when we're done. We're totally <laughs> You still good. have some. I might even give her the Snickers bar with the albums. We'll see. I mean, no, those I really are special, buddy. I only gave you five of those. I know, and I already gave two to Billy, but it's because Billy was pretty nice. So, um, RIN 2 of the updated gas rule yep. has still not dropped. Yep. There's proposed language or theoretical language from yep. AGA, but there's a lot of questions around there around what response criteria should be. Um... Yep. And we even mentioned response criteria earlier. How would what op, what, what what recommendations, Chris? would what, what? Let's get into what would you want to convey to our audience about response criteria for EMAP? Yeah, I think the I caught message, you off guard. I can no, tell you're not ready. No, it's not that I'm not yeah, you ready. You have the confused look on your face. I think that um,
1: you have to be careful when you navigate this because we have cons- what I'm going to call. API RP 1176 is kind of like a, a consensus document yeah it's where you have consultants industry stakeholders SMEs operators all coming together and saying that from a process methodical technical perspective this is how we should be managing cracks and pipelines right. and then we have um, regulation which says this is t- how you today, today can be very prescriptive yes. And so the, the the fact of the matter is that while our regulators are, are open to alternate procedures through no objection processes, if you have a prescriptive uh, requirement, then you have to address it. Mm. However, I do think the message that can be communicated is, is that I think FIMs on multiple occasions over the last couple of years now has communicated that they are open to this concept of a no objection. If you submit a process to them, an alternate process, they're happy to mm. walk through that and understand it's something that they can be amicable to.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So that was like a presidential debate style answer. <laughs> like you kind of gave an answer and then you kind of evaded it at the same time, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty great. I feel like you, you. I don't use grandstanding, you know, but it was it was it was pretty great. Okay. Um, so let's let's look at it a little bit differently and then we're going to get into this in the next episode where we talk about scenarios yeah right but let me say such what operator what information operators need to be prepared to have to develop response criteria that is a good one so let's go there right because operators are going to develop response criteria and it's not just going to be depth-based yep it's going to be based on burst pressures which is going to lead into Something that a lot of operators are more challenged by in the crack world. Yep, right. And so, so, what advice? Let's go with that. What advice do you want to give operators who need to develop response criteria? Yep. For crack tools. So, at at, um,
1: at Rosen, when we developed the crack framework, I think one of the important steps that we put in place mm-hmm. was um, the the pre inspection assessment, where you would engage your customer yep. and ask them. What is your understanding of material properties? Ruby's Ooh, back. I see, I see it. Don't you dare! Oh, yes, that's Hold pretty close. Steady. Hold steady. If you, you better get it. Oh, <laughs> you yes. totally, totally. missed again. <laughs> uh, We would question if they had a a preference to which fracture mechanics model they wanted to use, and we also asked them about their understanding or the current status of their material properties verification.
0: And again, that's probably a whole separate episode, but man, that's kind of, you know, nobody really likes talking about fracture mechanics, it's boring. Like, I mean, maybe other than like Ted Anderson and a few people who are really well known in the industry that would probably love to have a beer and sit on and argue about fracture mechanics models, nobody else really probably does. I think the but, truth but is. But there's op- a big takeaway here, right? Which is, you need to be prepared before you run the tool. Yes, right? You and need that's to
1: understand what model you're going to use and, and what your, your material have,
0: properties are going
1: to be. If you because have the material properties to support the model. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to result to defaults. Yes. Get a number of reported features that you've mm-hmm. now recently discovered. And you're caught in a situation to where operationally you might not be able to defend that the pipe has the integrity it needs to operate at that pressure for that amount of time. Yeah. And so that is a big, big, big takeaway, I think, from this discussion. Absolutely. And, and it's one of the things that we're going to communicate to you guys. If you guys do engage us to support you with these type projects, some of our initial discussions are going to be what do you know about your material so properties. Real and how life can we conversation, get them? right? This, real life. this
0: happened to us the other week. Uh, on a call with an operator who was running EMAT and We got into a conversation about the response criteria we were talking about. And I asked, said, what material information do you have available? And the answer was common. We have Sharpies from a lot of the cutouts that we've done. I could probably count on hands and toes the number of operators who have given us that answer. Quite common. And I said, okay. Um, How reflective are those of the populations that we're going to be assessing, right? Which is, that gets a blank stare, right? like Because you have to... Those sharpies may not be applicable for every pipe in that line. That's question number one. Then question number two was they came back and they said, "Well, Rhett, how much data do we need?" And that's where I said, "Well, if we're yeah. being honest, we got a 607 question on our hands." Yeah. I say because the truth is, you need sharpies to perform your fracture, your fracture mechanics assessments or your burst pressure calculations. Yep. And you need TVC sharpies. So okay. you need to be thinking. My question to you is. Where are sharpies in your TVC and your 607 program for both the pipe body and the long seam? Yeah, that <laughs> was like you could hear a pin drop after I made and, that. And what's that? An, what, quite a common conversation.
1: It is, and and there's a because it's a big a, ask. And there's a second order value there. So when you're when you're selecting your Ili system for the inspection, specifically a tool and its configuration, if you don't have a full appreciation of the attributes of your pipeline, then you might end up finding out the system's performance after the fact yep and it's always better to be able to communicate to your ally service provider whomever that may be that the how your pipeline is made up and what they should expect from a properties and an attribute perspective
0: because what you don't want to have happen again and we've seen that you run it and it's kind of funny that both of those compressors kicked on at the same time it's almost like they want to be heard yeah uh you run it and then you find out that the emat inspection threshold is below what your properties would support for critical flaw yeah. sizes. That's a bad day. And those are the types of things you want to be in front of, with your materials, in front of with your
1: failure model. So that, that's another another a great point that we made there, right? So
0: yep. a, a part
1: of your Ili system selection, and and again, this is one of the things that we often promote in in different um, in different workflows when we're working with a customer to establish. Um, pre-inspection activities or yep. post-inspection activities and, and a lot of the service providers, ally service providers, also engage in these activities. So ask questions, ask for help, they can help. It's establishing critical flaw curves before you deploy the inspection so that you can understand what the tool performance specs are against your critical Absolutely. flaw curve. That way you know going into getting your report what type features you should expect to have to respond to and what type features you might be able to detect. You
0: know what, I don't know if we covered everything yeah. from our last episode. There's no way to know because the data was lost. It's gone. But I feel like this was a worthwhile rerun, Chris. I
1: think it was fun. And I we had a featured we had guest.
0: We did. Rosie, Rosie is did gone Did you call again. it Rosie? Rosie. Yeah, I don't know where Rosie, Rosie is. Rosie survived. I hope, I hope she flies straight into a wall <laughs> and perishes. <laughs> or gets eaten by a bird or if we have bats in here I'm fine with that too <laughs> but I think this is a good place to end one last question in 1976 how much do you think a reader's digest cost I mean a magazine today is what 5 6 bucks that comic book you bought me was probably 3 or 4 15 cents 75 oh inflation right. inflation <laughs> that, that so you know what Actually, it's a repeat because we're dealing with inflation today and this was like in the height of stagflation. I know you didn't mean that. And if you don't know what stagflation is, is just end, Google it. Work? Just Google it. On that note, man, we've really enjoyed, Chris. I've enjoyed being with you. Miss Producer, we forgive you and we love you. Don't let it happen again, please. And um, <laughs> we look forward to being with you next week. Where, uh, next week, we're going to continue to get into the subject of EMAT. And we're going to talk about some what-if scenarios. It'll be another enjoyable episode. Thank you for joining Thing 20 and Thing 21 on today's edition of Pipeline Things. And we will see you in two weeks.
1: There I go. I
0: did just see it. Do I stink? It's on me. Oh, it's it's transferred. Here, give me the reader's digest. No,
1: I'll do it. You're going to miss. You're going to miss. I did. I missed. (laughs)